Uh, as I just mentioned, our gospel reading this morning is from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' famous teaching from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Let us listen for and hear God's holy word. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. And in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May your good news come, O Lord, not only in the word spoken, but in and through the power of your Holy Spirit and with full assurance. Amen. The guest preacher stood at the door just after the service ended on a Sunday late in June at Westside Presbyterian Church. The church's pastor was on vacation and the guest preacher thought he had done a pretty good job. And after the service, as he stood at the door at the back of the sanctuary and greeted the congregants, he responded to their mostly complimentary remarks. Thank you, he said. Thank you, I really appreciate it. Thank you for your kind words. Then an older gentleman got to the front of the line, shook the preacher's hand and said, you preached too long. The preacher, caught off guard, had to gather himself before continuing to greet the others in line. In his mind, He just passed the commitment off as a blip in light of all the positive remarks he had been getting. Then he got another critique. You didn't preach loud enough. But he quickly realized it was from the same older man. The preacher thought it was strange that the man had come through the line a second time until he saw out of the corner of his eye the man circle back to the end of the line for a third pass. This time, when he got to the front, he said, You used too many big words. The minister, utterly baffled, found an elder standing nearby and asked, Do you see that older gentleman over there? Who is he? Oh, that's just Joe, the elder replied. Don't pay any attention to him. All he does is go around and repeat everything he hears everyone else saying. (laughs) I can say that's never happened to me. Well, at least not yet. And for that, I thank you. But I do get caught off guard occasionally by something someone says at the door at the back on their way out. At the Christmas Eve service just a few weeks ago, one visitor shook my hand and asked me what the Presbyterian Church's stance was on the war in Ukraine, which is a legitimate and important question, but not exactly one I was prepared to answer in that moment at time. 
A couple of years ago, another woman who was visiting took my hand and said, aren't you glad that Jesus died to save sinners like you and me? And there was just enough of a pause there before the and me that I wondered if I was being singled out and made an example of. The most telling of those doorway comments, however, are probably never spoken. And if they were, they would probably sound something like this. The problem with you preachers is that you're always talking about things so far removed from my life that they're incomprehensible. Don't tell me about the pie in the sky, mysteriousness of faith. Tell me how to live in the real world. The real world. We prepare you for real world problems. That's the tagline from one university's college of business administration. A tech company says that their real world software will solve all that ails your cloud computing. MTV's version of the real world was to lock seven 20-something singles into a house and broadcast every conversation, every argument, every move they make. If you want to blame somebody for reality TV, MTV's The Real World is where it all started over 30 years ago. All of it begs the question, though, just what is the real world? And whose version of reality are we supposed to be buying into? A Buddhist might say that reality consists of surviving and suffering and ought to be escaped through enlightenment. Freud said the reality of the real world is that it's obscure, unfeeling, and unloving powers which determine our fate. The philosopher Thomas Hobbes declared reality to be solitary, hard, brutish, and short. With that view of the world, There are very few texts in the whole of Scripture as unreal as today's Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you, Jesus says, and then launches into his description of what the real world is and what it's all about. Now, I have to be honest. I don't care much for the word blessed. It's such a bland and mushy word, as one writer puts it. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Blessed be the tie that binds, sappy and pious and weak. But the Greek word blessed, makarios, isn't mushy or sappy or weak at all. Makarios, our blessed, means happy, honored, filled. Jesus isn't talking about a state of blessedness, but about a state of happiness, of contentment with who you are and what you're doing profound sense of purpose and wholeness and meaning. And who among us wouldn't want that? But blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who mourn. When someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn and offer him your left. If a soldier commands you to carry his burden one mile, go the second mile. Blessed are you who are persecuted. Blessed are the meek. It sounds like a recipe for being a full-time doormat. You and I know what life is really like in this real world. In the real world, if someone hits you on the right cheek and then you offer him your left, you're going to end up with two bruised cheeks and a couple of black eyes. 
In the real world, if you carry someone's stuff two miles, more often than not, it's going to end up being 10. In the real world, the meek get taken advantage of. In the real world, the persecuted need to get a lawyer. But it begs the question, who gets to define what is real? Will Willimon, who I mentioned in my sermon last week, tells a story of his days as a young chaplain in training at a healthcare facility in Georgia many years ago. Most of the patients were quite elderly, he writes. And this was in the days, he explains, before we even had a name for Alzheimer's. So at that time, the chaplain trainees were told only that patients were suffering from senility and frequent bouts of dementia. Back then, something called reality therapy was all the rage. In reality therapy, the therapist does everything possible to drag a person with dementia who's confused back into reality. Many of the patients came to that place not even knowing their own names. They didn't know where they lived or very many details about their own lives. So it was the staff's job in all interactions with the patients to attempt to keep them to, get, to guide them back into reality. Every time someone from food services picked up a tray, every time a nurse came to bring medication, every time a physician visited, they were all supposed to say something like, good morning, Mrs. Johnson. Can you tell me what day it is? Who's the president of the United States? Where are we standing right now? Reality therapy was fairly effective with some patients but during one of his visits, one elderly woman stopped the young Willimon dead in his tracks. He'd become accustomed to entering the room asking, how many children do you have? Who's our governor? What's your room number? The woman glared at him, finally disgusted enough to speak up. Young man, she said, you've got to be at least 20 years old, maybe more. You seem to have a good head on your shoulders. If you're so interested in who the governor of Georgia is, why don't you find out for yourself and stop bothering me? <laughs> I'm 92 years old. I don't feel well. The location of this building, the name of this state, and even the day of the week are completely irrelevant to me. It made good sense, Willimon concludes. It wasn't that she was living in a perpetual state of unreality and delusion. It was rather that she lived in a very different reality, a reality that demanded a different response on her part. Who's to say which one is really real? Blessed are you, Jesus says, and defines his vision of the real world in nine short sentences. Poor, mournful, meek, hungry, Merciful, pure, peacemakers, persecuted, falsely accused. These are the chosen ones, Jesus says. But as far as anyone else is concerned, it's just a list of losers. A list of losers, but Jesus insists that these are God's favorites. Not because they're rich and famous, not because they're effective or competent or successful, but blessed are these, Jesus says who might not recognize success if it walked up and smacked them in the face. And blessed are you. It's a new definition of what life's all about. And it's radically different from what 
the real world offers. This real world is a world in which you are not defined by how much money you earn, how much stuff you've accumulated, how much power and influence you wield. The meaning and purpose of your life is not defined by how attractive you are or how successful you've become. Instead, you're blessed, happy, when you love enough to become poor in spirit and meek and hungry. Happy are you when you love enough to experience pain and grief. When you're willing to lay your life on the line for God and for God's agenda here on earth. It turns out that the world we see is not the whole story. There's another reality, God's reality, in which the world as we know it is turned on its head. Blessed are the upside down, Barbara Brown Taylor says. Blessed are the upside down who see the world God, the way God sees it. Reverend John Buchanan was the pastor of the Fourth Presbyterian Church in Chicago, the second largest church in our denomination. And in the early 2000s, he was elected as the moderator of the Presbyterian Church USA. One of the things expected of a moderator of the denomination is a lot of travel. And as part of his one year on the job, Buchanan traveled, among other places, to Sheldon Jackson College in Sitka, Alaska. Sheldon Jackson College has been around for the better part of a century and is one of the seven historically ethnic colleges of the PCUSA, like Knoxville College was here in our city. Sheldon Jackson, however, serves a student body that's largely Native Alaskan students, many of whom from villages accessible only by boat or float plane, and most of them are the first in their families ever to attend college. All of that means that it is, and always has been, a challenge to keep the doors open at the college. And one of the ways it stays in business is with volunteers. Volunteers in mission is what we call them. Presbyterians who offer six months to a year of their lives, and in return they get room and board and a whole lot of work. Most, but not all of them, are retirees. So on his trip to Sheldon Jackson College, Buchanan had the chance to meet some of those volunteers in mission. He met Joan Corliss, a retired professor of education from the University of Dayton. Joan lost her husband and in her grief decided to teach native Alaskans who wanted to become school teachers themselves. He met Duna Williamson, a retired IBM executive who decided to begin the retirement chapter of her life teaching math and eating her meals in a college cafeteria. He tells of a couple from Idaho who work in a hostel the college sponsors for families of patients who come to the regional hospital in Sitka. The couple's retired, both professionals, both obviously successful. She does the bookkeeping and the room assignments, and he's the chief maintenance man. He shovels snow and replaces windows and cleans toilets. Buchanan said that those dozen or so volunteers in mission invited him to lunch one day, eager to hear how things were going in the denomination, but he says he could hardly get a word in. They were so exuberant, so eager to talk about what they were doing in their adventures. 
Duna, for example, had spent Thanksgiving at the northernmost Presbyterian church in the world, in Barrow, Alaska. That church on Thanksgiving uses its sanctuary not for worship, but for the annual distribution of whale meat. The feast begins right there, not with turkey and cranberry sauce, but with slightly fermented blubber. Did you eat it, Buchanan asked? And the former IBM exec laughed, I did, she said, and it was terrible. (laughs) And they laughed and laughed, and Buchanan said all he could think was, these people are happy. They're all so happy. They're blessed. What is real? Why are you here? What is your purpose? What gives meaning to your life? What does the Lord require of you, the prophet Micah asks, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God? Blessed are you. Rejoice and be glad. Amen. Please join me in prayer. O God, whose wisdom surpasses our understanding, help us to grow as people of blessing as we offer our prayers for the church and the world. We pray for those who mourn. May they know the comfort of your abiding presence. We pray for the meek. May they receive the goodness of your earth. We pray for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. May they be filled with goodness. We pray for those who are merciful. May they also receive mercy. We pray for the pure in heart. May they see you face to face. We pray for the peacemakers. May they be recognized as your children. We pray for those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. May they know the protection of your realm. We pray for those in our church family who need your comfort. Colleen Reardon and her family and the loss of her mother. David and Rita Dennis. Jennifer and Ian Phillips. Ely Driver. And we pray for those who suffer violence in our country and around the world. Meet them in their need. Comfort them in your love. Heal them in your grace. We rejoice this day and give thanks for the many blessings of this life and for the gift of heaven, which is ours even now. May we, with your prophets from all ages, have the wisdom to pursue your truth and the courage to do what is holy and right. We ask all this in the name of Christ, who taught us when we pray together to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. With what shall we come before the Lord this day? We come with the love of justice and a passion for sharing Christ's love. Let us continue our worship in humble gratitude, offering to God a portion of the gifts that God freely shares with us. Gifts 
for the healing of the world.